0: Well, good morning, friends. It's been a little over a year since I've had the privilege of preaching here. So for those of you who don't know me, I wanna give a quick introduction again. My name is Stacy Ald, and like Eric and Gio, I'm a United Methodist minister, but instead of serving full-time in the local church like they do, my full-time appointment is to serve as the director of spiritual care at Houston Methodist Hospital here in the Texas Medical Center. I wasn't always in ministry. I graduated from A&M with a and m um, with an accounting and management degree, went and worked for Zale's jewelers in their corporate office as a buyer for them for about eight years, and then felt called into full-time ministry. So um, I went to, back to school and I went to Duke University and got my Master's of Divinity, came back to Texas. I served in the local church in Plano for a couple of years. In youth ministry, which is where I thought God had called me to, and had a few experiences with um, some of my youth and their family in the hospital setting, and my eyes were opened to the rich ministry that takes place in the hospital, and that's what brought me here to Houston. So I've been at Houston Methodist for nine years Six of those years, I served as a chaplain to our patients and families in different capacities. And these last three years, I've had the honor of serving as the director of the department. Um, I'm married to Judah, who we've been married for four years. Together, we have um, Logan, who is my stepson, who will be 13 later this month. And then Judah and I had Luke, um, who is a little over two and a half. And the story is our church home. We worship at 940 in the morning here, and so it's really good to be in a safe place to share God's word with you this morning. So Eric said I could talk about whatever I wanted because he's in between sermon series, right? So he's like, all right, you have it. But he also strongly encouraged me to share a little bit more of my faith. And the lens through which I see the world because of my context in the hospital setting. So to get us started, I'm gonna read um, one of my favorite stories in the book of Genesis. And to give us a little context and to set us up. So the main character in our story is Jacob. And if y'all remember, Jacob and Esau were brothers, and Jacob stole Esau's birthright and inheritance from their dad, Isaac. Well, and as you can imagine, that was a pretty deceptive move, so Esau was not happy with it and was plotting to kill his brother Jacob after this happened. Well, their mom, Rebecca caught wind of this going on between the brothers, her two sons, and she went full-on mama bear and did everything she could to protect Jacob, even after what he had done. And so she brought him aside and said, look, you need to leave, and you need to go and stay with my brother. And this is where we pick up in um, chapter 28, verse 10 in Genesis. And i it's not going to be up on the screen. I want you to just kind of sit and let me tell the story and just listen. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. The name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around really great moments. But great moments often catch us unaware because they're beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small one. I bet that Jacob didn't imagine himself experiencing a moment such as that the night after what he had just done. Yet God showed up. God knew what Jacob had done to his brother and to his family, but God still showed up reminding him that he'd never leave him and even more so that he'd provide for him and that he'd bless the whole nation through him. God was on the ready to start healing the brokenness in Jacob's life. And as many times as I've read this story, I am still a little bit baffled by that. Sometimes it's just hard to accept that God will be faithful to us even when we have been terrible. And the takeaway for me from this story is how Jacob chose to respond to the words spoken to him in that dream. He first acknowledged God's presence and promise by naming and marking that space. He named it Bethel, which literally translates to house of God, which for him was really significant Because for him and for most other people of that day, the house of God was the temple. That's where you experienced God. That's where you were close to God was in the temple. But here, he had experienced God out in the middle of nowhere. And the second thing he did in response to this was that he reverently stacked these ordinary stones like an altar, which was a really ordinary practice of worship. At that time, through these acts of acknowledging and giving thanks, Jacob took an active step on the journey towards healing. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. I don't know about you, but I know that there are places in my life that I desire to experience some healing So this idea of acknowledging God, marking a spot, is something that I've tried to do more intentionally over these last few years. And for me, it takes practice. Because life has gotten pretty busy in all good ways. Um, A family, a really robust and rich ministry in the hospital... Um, tending to the household, the distractions of social media, all the things that keep us from slowing down long enough to pay attention and notice God in our midst. But one of the ways I find myself practicing this is by simply getting a little bit better at just paying attention. And then once I've paid attention, I respond By acknowledging God in that space and giving God thanks. So I'm not a reader. I'd love to claim that because I think that there's so I love hearing when people talk about these awesome books, and then I get it, and then I read like two chapters, and then it goes on the shelf. I just am not conditioned to be a reader. But there's one book on my shelf that I will pick up over and over and over again, and it's called An Altar in the World by Barbara Brown Taylor. She's an Episcopal priest who was named as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. Her use of prose in her writing and in her preaching is breathtaking. And she left the church to live on a farm in northeast Georgia, where she had more time to reflect on the meaningful ways to discover the sacred in the small things we do and see. And in this book, she shares how she learned to encounter God beyond the walls of the church. One of my favorite chapters in the book is called The Practice of Paying Attention. She gives all sorts of practical ways to practice this. But what I love the most in this chapter is her connection between paying attention and reverence. So reverence is simply defined as having a deep respect for someone or something. And she quotes quotes a lot of things from Paul Woodruff, who has written a lot on reverence. And, And Paul Woodruff is actually one of the deans at the University of Texas. So for this Aggie to be quoting that guy you know he has something good to say, right? So reverence, one of the things he says about reverence is that reverence is the virtue that keeps people from trying to act like gods. It's the recognition of something greater than self, something beyond human creation or control that transcends full human understanding. And then Taylor in her book goes on to say, God certainly meets all those criteria. But so do birth and death and sex and nature and truth and wisdom. Reverence stands in awe of something. Something that dwarfs the self and allows human beings to sense the full extent of our limits. Reverence can heal us. Reverence is when we stop and say, surely the Lord is in this place. For me, one of the first places that I consciously remember practicing reverence was when I was at Duke. This chapel, Duke Chapel, is in North Carolina and sits right next to Duke Divinity School where I was in seminary. And I was there from the age of 30 to 33, and I was absolutely in awe of God when I was in this space. I felt close to God in the liturgy and in the icons that surrounded me. I often heard God making promises to me like he did to Jacob, reminding me that God is faithful. But in my pain that I never really wanted anyone to know, or in my loneliness, I still wondered if God was listening to me. I remember praying week after week that God would fulfill the desires of my heart to one day have a family of my own. And the thing I clung to was practicing reverence and experiencing the closeness of God in that chapel during those three years. And it was healing. I left that place pretty content. And I could honestly say, surely the Lord is in this place. I often stopped, I acknowledged God and gave thanks. But then a reality hit. I moved back to Texas And Duke Chapel was no longer physically my altar in the world. I had to find a new way and a new place to practice paying attention. So I got settled into my youth ministry work. And I learned really quickly that all that kind of Duke Chapel formal experience was in my rearview mirror. I realized that most people actually in their lifetime will never step foot into a place like Duke Chapel. People take one look at that a lot of times, associate it with high church religion, and are immediately turning the other direction. And then God kept revealing to me that you don't even need to be religious to be reverent. Some of the most reverent people that I have come to know are by no means religious. They're people who simply pay attention, who allow themselves to feel. And that's why my work as a chaplain has been so life-giving for me and healing for me. I've had the opportunity through that ministry to slow down And be with people who, quite frankly, a lot of people don't want to be around. Paying attention to others, especially those whose world is crashing down around them because of sickness or maybe they're approaching end of life is something that I've learned that God's given me the ability to do because that's my conduit to reverence, to growing closer in my relationship with Jesus. Now I don't see patients as often anymore that I'm in this administrator role, but I wanna give you a little insight into my world as a chaplain. And so I'm gonna share a story with you. Um, there's so many stories and, and I don't really know exactly why this is the one I've chosen to share, but I wanna share this one with you. Um, it was a busy Friday morning, I remember that, and before 11 a.m. I had traveled through the hospital Uh, responding to one call after another without pausing for even a moment to really think about what I was doing. I was looking forward, honestly, to a little break at my desk, and then the pager went off, which, yes, we are still kicking it old school with the pagers in the hospital. Um, This time, it was a nurse who was really feeling sad for one of her patients, who was a 29-year-old woman who appeared to be alone. And so once again, I went off not knowing exactly what I'd be met with or what I was being called to do. And for the sake of our story, her name was Emily. And after checking with the nurse, I found Emily to be sitting up in one of her, a special chair in the ICU. And she was just staring off into the distance. I gently approached her. I introduced myself. And I asked if I could sit with her for a moment. And she said yes. So I pulled my um, chair close enough so that I was within arm's reach, and I remember saying in a soft voice, "You look sad." And then Emily began to cry. She didn't even have enough strength in her arms to wipe her own tears. As her voice and her body shook, she finally mustered the energy to say, "I forgot to pray for my kidneys." I prayed for my surgery, but I forgot to pray for my kidneys. You see, Emily had just received word from her physician that her surgery went well, but her creatinine numbers were surprisingly high, which meant that her kidneys were not working properly. And they were brand new kidneys that she had received through a recent transplant. The surgery that she had had the day before a visit was just to fix a minor complication from the transplant, but was really unrelated to the function of her kidneys. And the physician was certain that after she had done this little surgery that she'd be fine because these last few months, Emily had had no issues with her body rejecting these kidneys until now. As she continued to weep and to shake, I listened to her express guilt, fear, disappointment, loneliness. She was so unsettled. And the only thing that kept running through my mind was Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. So I just softly kind of started saying that, almost as a meditation. She eventually found the strength to grasp my hand, and before I knew it, her voice had replaced mine. She was now saying, be still and know that I am God until there was no more shaking and no more tears. I left that room feeling so close to God I remember now, instead of running to the next thing, pausing, kind of marking that space and giving thanks to God for showing up in her tears. Surely the Lord was in that place. I've learned that one of the greatest gifts that you can give another person is your time and your willingness to feel alongside them. I knew I couldn't fix Emily's kidneys, nor can I fix anything else that my patients are challenged with medically. But we found ourselves practicing reverence together. And I know that I left that place having both of us experienced some healing. Now, some of you are probably sitting out there thinking to yourself, that is beautiful and wonderful, Stacy." But sitting with others who are sick and sad is not my thing. So if that's how you want me to practice this whole reverence thing, then I'm not sure that this is going to be it for me. I can guarantee you when Judah was sitting out there listening to this at 9.40, that's what he was thinking Um, It's totally normal for people to want to run far, far away from what I just described. So how else can we practice reverence? Where or how else in your life could you find yourself in awe of God or others if you were really just paying attention? So I'm going to offer one more way I've learned to do this in the last couple of years. And it's been spending time with a child. And it happens to be the child that I was blessed with almost 10 years after those prayers in Duke Chapel. So those of you out there yearning, don't ever lose hope. I was 41 when I gave birth to Luke. And this is an image of Luke putting on his imaginary binoculars to look more closely at the bird on our walk. His awe for this creation was absolutely reverent. And it made me stop dead in my tracks and refocused Because at that point, all I was focused on was the fact that it was taking us forever to get around the block because he had to pull that wagon himself. (laughs) But now all of a sudden, by paying attention, I was focused on the beauty of a child's imagination and the wonder of creation and the gift that God did give me. That spot in our neighborhood will always be meaningful to me. I gave thanks for God showing up in that bird, and I found myself saying, surely the Lord is in this place. We're on our way to school or work on any given day when it's my nature to be thinking about all the things that I'm going to have to do for the day. Luke will interrupt my thoughts by talking about the sky. He'll tell me the color of the clouds or that the sun is so bright, Mom, it's making us squint our eyes or look at the water that's falling on the windshield. And so then I'm hit with the practice of paying attention once again, and I find myself reverent, giving thanks to God for showing up in the sky for reminding me that I'm not alone on my journey that day. And I say, surely the Lord is in this place. So you talk about extreme life in the hospital, life with a toddler, and what a wondrous life that God shows up in both and everywhere in between. So where does this leave us today? Some of you may be feeling like Jacob, running away from some bad decisions. Some of you may be feeling lonely or broken. Some of you may be sick yourself. Some of you may just be consumed with pride. Whatever you're facing today is unique to you, but we can all identify with something that leaves us in need of healing. No one's immune to brokenness, pain, suffering. If that's the one thing that I've learned in the hospital over these nine years, it's that all those things, brokenness, pain, suffering, it's the great equalizer among the human race. We're all going to experience it to some extent at some point in my life, and when we do, we're all going to desperately seek healing. So all I'm offering to you today is this idea that if you slow down long enough to practice reverence, to pay attention to God and others, that you can experience a little bit of that healing that you might need. So listen to someone's story this week. Try to be someone's chaplain. Or just look twice at someone or something that otherwise you may have ignored. Take your shoes off and feel the grass beneath your feet or the warmth of the sun on your cheek. Just take a minute to stand in awe of something or someone and never forget the words that God spoke to Jacob in that dream because you know what? He's still speaking them to each of us today. I am with you. And you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And when you hear these words, acknowledge God in your midst, give thanks, experience healing, and proclaim for all the world to hear: surely the Lord is in this place. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we give thanks for the gift of this place where we do experience you and your presence. Strengthen and sustain us in such a way that when we walk out of this place, that throughout our week, throughout the ordinary things in our lives, that we would look twice, that we would see you in our midst, that we would take the time to pause, to acknowledge you, to give thanks to you, and ultimately for us to experience healing and togetherness with you. God bless each person who have heard these words today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.